9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of DSR. I am your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City. We're very pleased to be joined today by Congressman Ted Deutsch of Florida. Are you in Florida, Congressman? I am in Florida, yes. Um, He represents Broward and Palm Beach counties and is on the Foreign Affairs and Judiciary Committees, as well as chairing the Ethics Committee. And uh, we've got a lot of questions for the congressman, and they will be asked initially by, of course, our friends uh, and regulars here for many, many years, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. Hi, Rosa. Rosa muted Brooks in Georgetown. Hi, David. Hi, I'm, Rosa. I'm unmuted now um, and set free. Only technology could mute you, Rosa. And Corey Shockey of uh, the American Enterprise Institute. Hi, Corey. Hello, my friends. And Rosa and Corey are in Washington, D.C. Uh, let me kick things off with you, Corey. Maybe you have a question for the congressman. I absolutely do, uh, which is so much of our focus has been on the urgent national needs of dealing with the pandemic. How do you divide your time between your responsibilities to the Foreign Affairs Committee and oversight and opportunities maybe that Congress should be pushing forward versus all of the urgent needs of our national um, pandemic? Uh, Well, first, it's great to be with you. And Corey, it's great to have you asking me the questions this time. (laughs) Nice to see you. Um, Look, a lot of the since since we're all all focused on COVID nineteen, literally everyone around the globe, um, so there's so much overlap between these different areas. In in before this, there'd be pretty clear lines between the things I work on and to help my constituents with constituent services, the things that we do in terms of oversight, legislation that we work on, foreign affairs. They're all they're all overlapping here. So. The work that we do on foreign affairs, the, the check-ins that I have every day with ambassadors from around the world um, wind up giving me ideas on things that we might be doing here, both both in terms of how we respond to COVID and how we project um, our leadership or fail to project our leadership around the world. Same thing, same thing is true uh, when we get involved in oversight on an issue like Project Airbridge, where Jared Kushner runs a, a group that's bringing 100 plus cargo planes full of of PPE here. Well, it's oversight, but it's also working really hard to make sure that that PPE gets to the hospitals in my district and the long-term care facilities in my district so that the people working there don't have to wear the same masks for an entire week straight. So it it all goes together in a way that hasn't at all since I've been doing this. Thanks. Rosa? Yeah, so I had a question. Congressman, yeah. you've been you've been at the forefront of efforts to persuade your colleagues in Congress that it ought to be possible to vote and make decisions and carry on the nation's business remotely. 
just as doctors and lawyers and everybody else in the universe is currently doing. Um, and I, I have a couple of questions related to that. Sure. Actually, three. <laughs> um, because I'm a law professor, so we always have. I to was just going to say, we have to have a list of three questions and three points. I guess the, the the first question is is what do you why do you think that has been so hard? Why is this not a no brainer for the U.S. Congress? Second question: If we are successfully able to move to virtual operations for Congress. Do you think that'll last beyond this immediate crisis or will it just revert back to business as usual? And the third question, you know, I, one of the things that, that Corey and I are, have both been involved in various efforts to increase the per percentage of women in senior positions in the national security world. And one of the barriers to women's participation, particularly in that world, over and above the barriers women face in all professions has been that because so many jobs involve classified information and you can't do that from home unless you are sufficiently senior like you're the secretary of defense that you can have your own little uh, skiff built into your basement or something um, that it makes it really tough for people who are trying to balance family responsibilities to have any flexibility in their work and I'm, I'm curious again looking ahead and sort of extrapolating from these immediate issues of can we come up with a secure system for Congress to do its work do you think what, what do you think are the prospects for developing and this may involve money being authorized developing more widely available secure systems for teleworking for the thousands and thousands of Americans who work in classified environments beyond this crisis going into the future? Um, well, first first of all, I'm as bad at three-part questions now as I, I was when, I was, when I was in law school, but I think what you asked <laughs> Well said. If you get two out of the three, you're good. Why is this so hard? No, I was concentrating. Why is this so hard? Um, will it will it last? Yeah. And how do we do secure telework going forward? More broadly. Um, so yeah, uh, great questions. And um, why is it so hard? It shouldn't be so hard. It is frankly a matter of, of will. Um, the, the Constitution is clear that Congress must assemble. It's clear that we can set the rules. Our own, the House sets its own rules for how we assemble. We can modify those rules. Um, and I'm not suggesting that we do something, that we adopt new rules that allow us to meet virtually all the time. I, I do think it, that, the, um, that there should be, they should be very limited, the number of occasions where we would invoke these rules, but certainly a global pandemic would meet any uh, requirement that this is an appropriate way to go. So I, I, why is it so hard? Look, I, don't, I want to assume good faith on the part of everyone I work with, I really do. Um, there is no question, however, that when we're not holding official hearings from remotely, we're not doing it virtually, uh, that that's a day that the administration has entirely to itself. Now, we do, we're, we're, as I said at the beginning, in response to Corey's question, we're working really hard and we're, and we're working on legislation and we're passing bills and, and it's not that the work isn't getting done, but the official work that we do in Washington is work that we ought to do from from home 
as when, as you point out, uh, so many other businesses have figured this out already. So look, uh, one is the concern I have that some people would prefer not to do it for that reason. Um, two, there is, look, as one of my colleagues pointed out, technology is only as good as the people who use it. There is a, a range of technological expertise, you could say, with 400, among 435 members. That shouldn't stand in the way of figuring out how to, to get this done. And, um, and if we say we're going to do it, I, I had a hearing for my subcommittee last week, not a hearing, can't hold hearings, briefing, whatever we called it to meet the, the rules. But we had a, a briefing on the humanitarian crisis in Yemen for, this, for the Middle East subcommittee, not because it's the single most pressing COVID-19 issue, but because we wanna show that we can keep doing the work we're supposed to do. We had two witnesses from Yemen. It went off uh, without a hitch. If we can have witnesses from the Middle East live, we can have certainly uh, members of Congress from around the country. So if we have the will to do what we can, we have to get past this, frankly, old fashioned and naive and mistaken belief that only by coming together uh, and being in Washington will, will we be able to do this. And one last thing on this, uh, it's clear from what the medical professionals tell us that the DC peak is, is just now coming and why would we put our staff at risk? Why would we put the House personnel at risk, the Capitol Police, um, and, and only to go back and be in a situation where all the attention is going to be on the fact that we're back instead of what we're doing. Like, oh, look at that one's not wearing a mask. That one uh, stood on the House floor uh, a foot away from one of his colleagues. He's obviously not concerned. Well, that one, those two are sitting right next to each other in, in committee hearings. We can use the technology that's available and we can build in the security, which is the other, the last part of your question. Uh, we, can, we can absolutely come up with secure ways to do it. Can we, can we do that right now? Do you, need the, do you need a SCIF equivalent in order to conduct the, the, the Congress's work? No, uh, and, and we should do what we can now. We should hold hearings with witnesses. We should be able to have floor debate uh, vote on the floor. Other countries have figured it out. And we should start figuring out how to, to address the issue that you raised. Um, I've had conversations um, that would otherwise only take place in the SCIF from secured facilities in South Florida that, that exist uh, for different parts of the federal government. Maybe we need to build a couple more of those. Maybe we need a plan to have more of them available for members of Congress to be able to do work, going driving 20 minutes instead of figuring out how to fly through four different cities to get back to Washington. So that's a longer term plan I think we should, we should think about, certainly expecting that there will be other emergencies that might require it. Um, and I think I answered the middle part. It, is this permanent? Um, the capability should be permanent, but it should be reserved for only the, the, the very limited national emergencies, not like when a hurricane hits Florida, but when a global pandemic strikes the globe. Should note that today, the day we're recording this, which is Monday, was the first time the U.S. Supreme Court actually uh, held a, tele a teleconference session, and even lawyers at the Supreme Court were able to make it work smoothly, um, uh, although there was reportedly a moment where uh, Justice Thomas said, how do I mute this thing? But I suppose that <laughs> That's inevitable. 
in this process. Um, uh, Congressman, you are a member of the White House's Opening Up America con uh, Committee, and you gave them a report on opening up the country. I was uh, just going to ask about this. Oh, all right. Well, go David ahead. You ask. Oh, fire away, David. Um, well, I, I, I was, I mean, you, you can, well, you can follow up on the question um, how you, however you may, uh, but I, I just thought it's, you have an interesting perspective on this because you come from the state of Florida, you represent Broward and Palm Beach counties. There are three counties in Florida that are particularly intensely affected by this, Broward, I think Dade and, and Palm Beach yeah. counties. Uh, and the governor of Florida seems to be ignoring your counties and operating and opening up uh, on a different basis, or at least Northern Florida is getting one speed and Central Florida is getting another and you guys are in another. So how, how does your Florida experience color this and what are the central, you know, tenets of, you know, your, your recommendations, to the White House on opening up America? Uh, sure. Well, if the, my experience down here colors everything I, I, I'm doing on that task force. Um, I remember uh, when we sent a letter to our governor urging a statewide uh, stay-at-home order at the time when, as you recall, the images of Florida's beaches um, dominated the, the national news. Uh, I, we pointed out that uh, Florida was the only state with a thousand cases or more uh, that hadn't Put that sort of order in place, and uh, and now look. And the argument was, well, why do we need to do that when when half, perhaps more than half, the counties have no cases? Well, we knew at the time the answer. The answer to that was, we don't know that. We're not testing enough to have any idea how far this has spread, and yet we delayed. And then we've seen this explosion in cases in Florida. Um, so now, fast forward to this discussion about reopening the state. And it's the same thing in reverse. Now, we still don't have enough tests. Uh, and on the national level, you know, the experts have said we need 5 million tests. Um, uh, we need to test daily. And, and we've, we're, we're able to test a couple hundred thousand. If we don't have a way to test everyone and trace everyone that needs to be and then socially isolate those who, who test positive then we're almost guaranteeing the continued spread maybe if we're lucky maybe there won't be a huge spike but it'll continue to spread so one last thing on this so when we put this together i said from the start we need to listen to the public health experts and uh and people have come to understand They've come to understand what social distancing is. They, they understood flattening the curve and why to stay home. Uh, they just need, they don't really understand what, what testing and tracing and social isolation means because no one's, if, no one's telling them. A pres, if we had a president who was able to stand up and calmly explain to people what's expected of them, and then a governor of Florida who could do the same thing, uh, there, there might be some greater sense of optimism about how this is going to go. But... I, I had a call uh, with our state public health officials the other day. They're working hard, but when they say that they're tracing every new case, all that means is they're calling you if you test positive and telling you, hey, 
you know what, you really ought to go tell all the people that you came in contact with, you tested positive, um, or, uh, or else we're gonna risk a spread. That's not how this works. So we need, we need to have that in place uh, and move slowly as we do it and methodically. And if we don't, then we're gonna find ourselves in a, in a worse place. And the goal to get the economy moving might work in the short term with the potential of, of, much, uh, of a much worse uh, uh, spike in cases somewhere down the line. Corey, sorry to have stepped on your question there. No, not at all. Um, I think it was really important to hear Representative Deutsch's thinking on that. I'm going to pivot to the foreign affairs aspects of it, um, which is, it seems to me that ineluctably, this terrible national experience that we're having now is going to broaden how people think about national security and likely put substantial downward pressure on defense spending and create opportunities for more creative foreign affairs engagement. And I'd love to know whether you think that's true, Congressman Deutsch, and if so, where would you like to see your committee put emphasis for things the United States could be doing that help make Americans safer that we're not? Um, it's a great question. And it, it starts, I think, with uh, maybe starting to finally redefine what national security spending means. Um, I, I, did, I did say in the, in the report that the White House asked all the members to submit, I mean, I, I suggested that it's, it's not just testing and tracing and the economy and reopening it and what employers and employees do, but there are all kinds of things that, that this, this pandemic has caused us to just stop and think about. And, and it's true in our economy where there's a whole lot more. We, we were, if I could just say one thing, Corey, and then I'll, I'll answer this question. We were at this moment where we, we were, there were a lot of us who are worried about and, and spend a lot of time uh, focused on the threats to our workforce uh, as a result of automation, as a result of artificial intelligence. And, and there were some really interesting conversations that, that were starting to take place at the margins. Now this happened and there's been this massive impact on our labor force. We can't think that we can just go back to where we were before and, and pick it up, knowing that there were those huge issues that were about to cause a major dislocation anyway. So when it comes to, when it comes to the economy, there's a whole lot we have to think about. And I also pointed out that we need to think about our role in the world and what national security means. And if, if, one, if there's one thing that's, I think, become readily apparent, everybody's got to understand now that investing in public health is a national security investment. Um, that's, that's just clear because we didn't. And, and when you take action to make, uh, to, to, to make it harder for us to respond to a pandemic that perhaps we think may never happen, well, when it does, here's the result. So greater emphasis on public health here and around the world. Um, I mentioned, uh, I, I mentioned these, these calls I've been doing with the ambassadors. Uh, we the one thing that they all say is that we're all this is one thing that caused all of us literally to be in this together and what role does america play going forward well 
they're also we've also been having the or had had the discussion before about how spending our our money on humanitarian assistance is in our national is really spending on national defense maybe that's going to become a little clearer to people now um and and then most importantly and this is a conversation that you and i have had and others have had over the over the past uh, three and a half years but um but what's what's our place in the world and what does it mean how does it advance our national security interest when we decide that we're going to completely withdraw from uh from any international organization that we disagree with um when we're when we decide that the world health organization and our support of it should somehow be used to advance political interests of the president um wrongly so by the way i think he's guessing wrong on that but nevertheless that's clearly a decision that that he's made uh and the results of all that is you talk to people around the world as all three of you do and you hear them say look we um we really want to continue to rely on america to to lead the response to this pandemic and to lead us out of it and to to start tackling all these issues we've been talking about and we just don't think it's going to happen and then we look around and there are competitors who are more than happy to step in and start providing assistance and start uh trying to assert themselves that's a bad situation for us to be in and a dangerous one but before i go to rosa and i won't ask a question so i don't i don't run the risk of stepping on her question um but i would just follow up on that because i've been thinking about it a little bit today uh as we've seen leaked out of the white house you know uh this now uh, this estimate we may go to as high as 200,000 dead and that they're through June it may be 3,000 dead um, a day. Um, but even more importantly that there are a number of states that have reopened or are reopening that actually have the number of cases still increasing. And all this says to me that this crisis may extend further for the United States than other places that have gotten their arms around it. And you know we haven't really talked about it, but if China's recovery is six months ahead of our recovery, or parts of Europe are six months ahead of us, uh, or other parts of the world are six months ahead of us, that can have a material consequence. Uh, quite, you know, on on top of the consequence of uh, China trying to step in and lead where we have pulled back. Yeah, um, Rosa. Well, can I, can I just, sure, I know sure, that wasn't on. a question, but I just, just to, to, <laughs> that's, to quickly- That's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thing in law school faculty workshops, David, where at the end of that, people say, question mark. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me, well, see, uh, I, I like both of your legal backgrounds, so. <laughs> they do the same thing, by the way, at town hall meetings, as, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I, I think that that's exactly right. And if you, and if you add to that, the fact that, the president and Jared Kushner are engaged in this, this unseemly ongoing self-congratulations uh, for the way that the United States has handled this and everything's gonna be great. And sure, the president now admits, well, I, I, was, I was, first we said 150 to 200,000, then we came way down, but uh, maybe as you point out, yeah, maybe it's gonna be 100,000 or 200,000 again. And it, it sets us back then everything that the president keeps talking about and how smart he was for uh for shutting off travel from china which wasn't really true as we know but he, he keeps talking about that if if 
other countries are six months ahead of us, the impact on our economy, when they look at us and say, whoa, 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 no, we're not, we're just not comfortable allowing Americans into our countries given that they haven't figured out how to deal with this. I, I, that's, that's a, that should be a huge concern for us. And maybe we think we can deal with it again. Maybe we think we can deal with it just looking at our own country and having press conferences that will air in America and might satisfy some people in the course of an election. But that's a potential devastating, potentially devastating um, outcome as you look in the, in the relatively short term. Yep. Rosa. Yeah, I, I also have foreign affairs related questions. And this time I'm only going to ask two because I'm, I'm being trained. <laughs> oh, it's trained of you, Rosa. Thank you. Um, um, one question is, do you, I mean, obviously the, the pandemic, I think to everybody on this podcast, uh, really highlights the importance of global cooperation and the importance of, inter of, of, of not just using, but strengthening existing global institutions to make it possible for effective collaboration to occur. Um, it seems crushingly obvious to all of us that uh, all those things, but do you anticipate that there will be any greater interest in international institutions and global governance in Congress? Or do you think that at least until after the November elections and uh, whenever, whenever the whenever inauguration and so on is that there's really not much likelihood of change. Um, and then the, the second question, and this, I was thinking of this when you talked about the, the non-hearings you held uh, recently on Yemen um, and the importance of signaling to the American people, um, hey, we haven't forgotten everything other than COVID-19. We recognize that the world out there is still there and, and this matters. Um, what other issues, if you were making a list of the the issues that you're concerned we're collectively not thinking about that we're neglecting as a nation because we're we're so you know understandably to some extent obviously um, fixated on COVID nineteen, Yemen would obviously be one of them. But what else would you put on that list of of issues that we can't afford to forget about just because we're preoccupied with this crisis? Um. <laughs> That was two and a half. I cheated. I, I know, and the second one was so good that I, I lost track of the first one. Um, <laughs> so on the, on the um, what was the first one? Sorry. The first one was, do you think your, your colleagues, particularly- Oh, yeah, yeah, world in, global institutions. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, do, next time, I, I'm only going to ask one question. I, yeah. I swear, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly going down. I let my guard down when you said there were only two. Um, so- do I am I hopeful that there'll be greater, greater cooperation, greater support for international institutions and and uh, and working with the rest of the world? Um, if I, I mean to be honest, no. Um, should there be? Yeah, absolutely. Among a, a lot of members of Congress, will that exist? Yes. Um, the the challenge, quite frankly, <laughs> I mean the challenge is. If you look at the way everyone, if you look at the way the, at the, the, the way that um, the president and the president's supporters have all started talking about this, um, it's 
that it's essentially, if there's an international organization that the, this is the language I think they would use, if there's an international organization that the Chinese Communist Party plays any role in, we should be wary of it, we shouldn't support it, and we should probably try to drive it into the ground. I mean, that's, that's, I, I, that, that's the unfortunate po political moment that I think we find ourselves in. Not everyone feels that way, I mean, but that's, um, oops, sorry about that. Uh, but I think that's a, uh, that, that's the politics that we're dealing with. Um, so going forward, we've got to continue to, to highlight what can be done globally, how we are all in this together. There are lots of people, Democrats and Republicans, who recognize that, uh, both those who are in office now, but especially those um, who, are, who are not currently serving, but have long understood the importance of global cooperation, those voices become really important now as well. Um, as, far as, as far as issues that we're not focused on, um, look, I think, uh, I, I think every committee, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna duck this one, um, but I, I think every committee um, has a whole host of issues that they should continue holding hearings on. The Judiciary Committee I serve on is gonna continue to, to do its work in the antitrust area. And, and I mean, there, there are all the other issues that are just sitting out there. I, I represent uh, the city of Parkland. Um, I, I've been a staunch uh, gun violence prevention advocate since I've been in Congress. I, that, that seems like one of those um, critically important issues that we ought to be able to take up, uh, but we couldn't do it before COVID-19 and it's now fallen further by the wayside. We can't afford that to let that happen. And there are a whole host of issues that we have to keep working on, but I, I actually think there are issues that, that committees can also work on that are perhaps not directly COVID-19 related, where we're not holding hearings just on the oversight of Project Airbridge, for example, which I think is really important, but on the, the whole range of healthcare issues, the president is, is still actively engaged in trying to, to cause the entire Affordable Care Act to be found unconstitutional and overturned. Um, this, has, this whole experience has reminded people uh, the importance of healthcare and the disparities in healthcare and, uh, and a range of issues that we can now focus on because COVID-19 has, has laid them bare. The, the same thing, um, I think the same thing is true on lots of other issues that, again, aren't specifically COVID-19, but that it brings up. That our elections, we knew, we knew that our elections were under threat from the Russians and, and the North Koreans and maybe the Chinese and other state actors, non-state actors. Well, all of a sudden, we're now forced to confront the additional challenge of potentially holding a national election during a global pandemic. Um, that, that should cause us to move more quickly on addressing sec uh, election security issues and, and issues like that. So there, the, there are lots of things that have come up. I'll mention one more. Um, we have conversations all the time. We like to talk about the trillion plus, trillion three, whatever, whatever the current number is in student debt and how that impacts decisions that people make, uh, not just when they leave college, but all throughout the rest of their lives. Sometimes people carry this debt with them until they retire and then their social security payments are reduced. We talk about that from time to time, but all of a sudden we, we pass this big piece of legislation. It has no stimulus payments, no direct payments for college students who can be 
claimed as a dependent. We send some money, $7 billion to universities and hope that they're gonna get it out to students in need. This is an opportunity to talk about the student debt problem. And if we're, if we're spending trillions of dollars, as I believe we should be, to help prevent our economy from cratering and to help small businesses and the unemployed, maybe this is the time for us to talk about not just, not just pushing off when student payments are due, not just abatement, but, but maybe reducing their payments, maybe at a minimum bringing the interest rates down to zero, which is what we're now effectively offering businesses. All of these kinds of issues, again, not specifically COVID-19 pandemic related, but issues that that, that has caused us to, to refocus on. So we've only got six minutes left. So each of you have time for a six part question. Excellent, <laughs> I have mine. I just have one tiny little question left. No, wait a second. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Corey. I have some questions too. Okay. <laughs> so I noticed in the press accounting of the president's telephone call with Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman, uh, that the president used as leverage to get a change in Saudi policy on oil production, that the president was powerless to prevent Congress from taking action on, against Saudi Arabia because of their involvement in Yemen. So I wanted to say congratulations on good work done on American foreign policy, Representative Deutsch. You've been such an important leader on the Yemen issue. Um, and, and to uh, ask what's next in policy towards Saudi Arabia that you'd like to see? Um, well, there is uh, <laughs> one of, um, I'm sure I'm not the, um, the only person who's reading list has expanded at least a bit during the time during this time of pandemic um but um i i just uh worked my way through um the recent mbs book which i found fascinating i would recommend to your uh to your listeners um look there is there's a, a whole lot that we that the that the committee should be looking at regionally um, as uh, right now, especially in light of, of the, um, uh, these oil wars. I mean, I, I think that's, that's the entree for us. That's the way that we get bipartisan interest because the impact that this has had on, on America's energy um, economy, and that brings, that'll bring Democrats and Republicans to, to the table. And then we have a chance to talk about some of the issues that are out there. I mean, look, the, the rift in, among the Gulf states um, continues to be a challenge for the United States as well. I think there'll be renewed focus on that. I think um, as we uh, as we look at the the challenges, the, the broader challenges in the region, some of which COVID nineteen has has helped to again um, shine a light on. Uh, there, there's going to be a, a greater, I think, a greater willingness. Uh, to delve into some of some of the issues in Saudi and throughout the region uh, that that we've talked about some. I mean, I, we did a here. I'll just finish with this. We, so we did this hearing on on the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. Um, we've obviously spent time talking about the the war in Yemen. Uh, now would be in the midst of a pandemic. 
now would also be a good time for us to talk about um, how that uh, how that should come to an end. Um, it gets to the broader discussions of arms sales and how those arms sales come about and the role that Congress plays and the role that um, that our committee in particular plays. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I think there's a, a lot. Once we figure this out, again, we're going to forge ahead whether they're official hearings or something less than that. Uh, but I think it's, it's important for us to move forward uh, in an official way, too. I, I would add, by the way, because we talked about it last, last week on this same podcast, um, Yemen is one of 10 countries named by the World Food Organization as the likely place for famine in the wake of this yeah. crisis. And so, uh, you know, I mean, you talk about foreign policy knock-on effects. They mentioned as many as 50 countries could be affected by it, 130 million more people on the brink of starvation around the world. That also has a foreign policy consequence, of course. Yeah, that gets, yeah, that gets to the, the point, the discussion we had a little earlier about, about humanitarian assistance as uh, national security spending, because uh, it's, it's not just the right thing to do, um, but, but it prevents the, the possibility of greater conflict as well. Um, that seems like a, 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 an easy combination for my, my colleagues to understand. I hope so. Hope so. Rosa, last question. Yes. Okay. Um, Congressman, I love using Zoom because you get to see what's behind people in their houses. And I can't help but notice that <laughs> right above your head looking yeah. poised to leap onto your head is something that is either a stuffed orangutan or a creature from cats and i would uh, like to know what is that creature um i want you to know i'll answer that question but i want you to know that um my um, my wife actually walked in here one day and saw me on a zoom call and said you need to get rid of that hideous cats figure because eventually someone's going to point it out and likely make fun of you. So, no, no, uh, I like thanks, it. I like it. I'm just thanks curious. For, thanks for proving her right. That's exactly what it is. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it's on a bookshelf. Um, and of all of the, of all of the Broadway shows that I might choose to represent in a place where I do a lot of calls, that's not, that's not even in the top, 25. I am really um, glad to hear that. <laughs> so the next time we do one of these, um, I have a, I have an, I, I don't know if it's large enough for you to notice, but I, have, I do have an apple from Dear Evan Hansen um, that I think would be a bit, I'd rather talk about that, um, which then leads to all these other issues about mental health that we have not talked about that are also <laughs> now front and center because of COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Instead of having to answer for a silly cat's I don't even know what it is. It's part stuffed animal. It's part like porcelain. It's it's silly. I don't know. But thanks for the question. Yeah, Rosa, really yeah. cutting to the core of it. I'll ask. No, I, I feel that's my job as a you know as the as the current academic in the group is to ask the really incisive, hard hitting yeah. questions. Well, those often reveal deep deep yeah. secrets. Congressman, before we go, one last question: If you could have Jared Kushner devote all his time to either the Middle East peace process <laughs> or to solving the coronavirus here in the US, which would you want him to focus on? <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'm not gonna count on Jared Kushner to solve either one of those. Um, but, as, but the one thing that I would really like is I would like him to explain the deal that he struck with 
the medical suppliers um, on Project Airbridge. I'd like him to just tell us what's on the planes and tell us why we're not able to see where they go because I don't want to have another conversation with a nursing home employee who says she's got to wear a plastic bag because they're out of PPE, an emergency room doctor who says that he's, that he's got to wear the same mask for an entire shift, or a nurse who says that she's got to wear a mask every day for a weekend. If she brings in her own, she could be fired. If he could start by, by providing a little transparency on that, um, I'm ready to engage. So if you won't pass that on to him, I'd be grateful. Well, we'll do the best. I'm not sure he's a regular listener, but um, the the reality is that uh, that's another reason why your initiative to try to keep the Congress functioning uh, throughout this crisis is so important because oversight is so important. Uh, uh, I want to thank you for joining us, uh, Congressman Deutsch. Uh, uh, for all of you who are listeners, I'm sure you're familiar with the Congressman, but follow him uh, on uh, his work on the Judiciary Committee and the Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as chairing the Ethics Committee. Uh, I wanna thank you, Corey. I wanna thank you, Rosa, uh, for all of you out there who want to uh, follow along with us and the, the multiple uh, episodes we're doing each week. Go to the dsrnetwork.com where you'll find all of that as well as the ability to become a member. Uh, and now, in addition to our memberships, uh, the the so people who sign up get a Deep State Radio face mask, and we'll be sure to send one of those to you, Congressman. Thanks. Who wouldn't want one of those? Um, and uh, uh, we hope that- uh, Mike Pence would not want one of those, I think. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes. yes, that's apparently- Thank you for your good work, Representative Deutsch. No, thanks. I appreciate it. This was really fun. I hope we get to do it again. I hope we, hope we do it back. Too. Uh, yeah, well, we'll we'll follow up. All right, you'll folks. never see that cat's thing again. Yeah. I think. <laughs> you'll have a cat on your shoulder next time. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much. Stay healthy. Bye. Bye, folks. Bye bye. Bye bye.